Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 311 of the Fun With Cars, Formula One, and other motorsports podcast, or episode 45 of 2021. And this is a special episode to celebrate the life of Frank Williams. I'm Robin Warner, and today I am joined by Christopher Roche. Hello, Chris. Hello, Robin. It is Wednesday afternoon, December 1st, and Chris, why don't you go ahead and get us started? Yeah, so we just had the sad news over the weekend that uh, Sir Frank Williams uh, passed away at the age of 79. We decided, uh, you know, as a legend of the sport, we should, uh, we should suitably honour him. He's been involved in Formula One since 1969 when he, when he first formed uh, an F1 team with his buddy Piers Courage. That team didn't last that long and wasn't that successful. Fantastic uh, racing name, though, it has to be said. <laughs> well, and he was, Piers was the part of a brewery family. So it's a double win. Great name, <laughs> great family <laughs> business. Yeah. Sadly, Piers passed at the 1970 Dutch Grand Prix. That was the first of many tragedies that, uh, that bookmarked Mr. Sir William's life. Yeah, it was a tough, uh, tough time uh, for him in his first stint in Formula One. Uh, he wasn't a full-blown constructor for much of the first uh, years when he raced under Frank Williams' racing cars. Uh, he, he ran a Brabham with Piers in 69 and also ran Marches, Di Tommaso's, um, and uh, ultimately something called a Wolf Williams, and Wolf eventually bought uh, Frank's first team in 1976. So Frank went off and started Williams Grand Prix Engineering, which was a much more successful entity. And that's the one he did with Patrick Head that uh, really turned into the Frank Williams team, the Williams racing team that we know today. Yeah, that's right. That combination of, of Frank and his ability to, to raise the money to run the business with Patrick uh, being the lead engineer, the, the technical director, that combination was pretty potent because within a couple of years of the formation of that team, they were winning races. So they actually uh, got their first win at the British Grand Prix in 1979 with uh, Clay Regazzoni at the wheel. Yeah, and that team was formed in 1977 and did not take you know, in the grand scheme of things, did not take much time at all to become successful. And it's fun little fact that they originated in a in an old carpet warehouse. That's where they got their start, and uh, obviously made a couple of modifications from there, and uh, just started having success. And indeed, first race win with Clay Regazzoni, but then first world championship with Alan Jones in 1980. That's right. They won the Constructors and the Drivers' Championship in 1980. Um, I mean, it's worth noting that in 77, you're right, they did form the new team, uh, Frank and Patrick, but they ran a march for that first year. And it was only in 78 that the first Patrick Head design car, the FW06, came into F1. Yeah, remarkable success very quickly. I mean, most <laughs> most Formula One teams would take a while to get uh, to that level of success. Um, and really, you know, if you look at Williams' history, the 80s and the 90s were really when they're at their, their most successful, um, particularly dominating through the 90s. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And this is why I, I want to take a moment. You'll notice at the top I said, celebrate the life. And I couldn't mean that much more completely than I do for Frank Williams. He lived such a full 
life that was constantly driven by his just immense, deep, unending passion for racing and for Formula One. And that stemmed to every aspect of his life. And we talked about this just a couple of podcasts ago. Both yours and my favorite racing team was, of course, Williams, because that passion for racing spilled over into everything. And if you like Formula One, it's because you like racing. And no one liked and indeed loved racing more than Frank Williams. And he lived this life at the top of racing for decades and decades to come. And countless drivers and engineers and people in the racing community looked to Frank Williams like a beacon of light as uh, as someone that played such an important role in their career. The fact that he had the life that he lived, the fact that it was changed so dramatically in 1986 and that that was 35 years ago and he still did all these things, that's a life worth celebrating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those early early years... Um, 70s and, and early 80s, you know, they, they were tough. I mean, the number of times the, the team folded, his, his first iteration of, of, an, of an F1 team almost folded, got some support uh, from his wife to keep, uh, to keep the lights on. There's some cracking stories going around that at one point uh, the phone to the factory got disconnected because he hadn't paid the bill, so he was actually making all his business deals through a <laughs> local phone box, you know, a coin-operated phone box. You know, the guy was completely relentless, though. You know, he would find, seemingly find deals either with drivers or, or sponsors. You know, he had a great track record of introducing sponsors to the sport. Uh, companies like uh, the Saudi uh, Airlines, um, TAG, you know, really forged the, the, the successful relationship with Honda that got Honda, you know, uh, its reputation uh, going in the 80s as, as a dominant engine uh, manufacturer was really uh, able to think laterally and find find money, find deals uh, to keep the team moving forward and, and uh, being successful. And, you know, that all stemmed from his, you know, unending passion for, for motor racing. He'd started out as a, as a driver himself, didn't seem, uh, recognised fairly early that he maybe didn't have the same level of ability as some of his, uh, some of his buddies, um, including people like Piers. And, and so then focused on, on trying to run, run cars and run race teams. That certainly his lack of ability to drive a race car at the Grand Prix level was not a lack of courage. Good God. Like, you know, reference footage that uh, they used in the, in the Williams documentary that came out a few years ago. He, he was bold. I mean, this was... A Gilles Villeneuve style of take everything right to the limit. What was lacking were those those finesse motions to keep the car on the road. I mean, he he would just fly off the track because he would just attempt. He's like, oh, screw it, I'll give it a shot. And it was just amazing how daring he would be behind the wheel. And it's you have to give a lot of credit to him for being able to have the introspection and self-awareness to say, this isn't going to take me to the top of racing as a driver. I need shift. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, if that's really what you want to do, to recognize that you don't have the talent is, is, must be a tough uh, pill to swallow. Um, you know, he's not the only one in the sport that, that has 
I've recognised that. I mean, one of the names that, that that springs to mind from the more modern day era is Christian Horner, who also was a was a fairly competitive racing driver. I think he got into F three thousand. Yeah, but he again, was, he was racing. He was racing one tier down from Formula One. So, right. Uh, it it took either Christian was better, or it took him longer to realise one of the two. <laughs> yeah. So you know, in those early days, he was. Um, very fit man. He did a lot of running uh, up to up to marathon level uh, at a very good, you know, sort of club standard uh, in UK terms. He, the success kept coming in the early eighties, winning the. Briefly explain that. I'm sorry to interject. This seems like a silly digression, but I, mm. this I think is a very important aspect of his life. Uh, he was a very serious runner. What does that mean to be club level for us non-English folk? Yeah, so obviously you've got international level athletes that compete in world championships and uh, diamond league type stuff these days. Uh, but the UK, and I don't know if it's unique for this, but but it's what I'm familiar with, has a very a very large number of amateur athletes that run in local clubs. Um, obviously, it's completely there's no, there's no prize money. There's you know people just run for the love of it there's uh, you know a lot of cross country running in the winter track and field in the in the summer and a lot of road racing all year round and the standard's pretty good uh you know top level club athletes are knocking on the door of of things like uh, olympic qualifying time for marathons you know at the at the, the top the top club level runners you know i've read that frank uh, was routinely able to run 10 miles in around an hour so that's 6 minute miling whoa so, what? Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> that's decent no pace. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's no joke. I could run, I could run six minute miles in high school. Um, could you I do might ten in a row? One six <laughs> minute mile now. If there's a stretcher at the end of the mile <laughs> to pick yeah. me up, that's impressive. Yeah, it is, and, and apparently he was committed to it. Uh, you know, throughout the racing weekends, he would he would go off and try and run, even at some fairly uh, uh, you know unusual hours of the day, um, and. You know, so his commitment to his running, commitment to his racing. You know, he was a family man, married uh, with with children. Uh, sounds like he didn't go on too many too many holidays or vacations with the family. You know, he was so all in on, in his racing, and and so the the family essentially had to get involved with the race team or they wouldn't see him. So yeah, he was a hugely committed individual, performing at a, at a, obviously a very high level. As I was going to say, they they won the constructors championship again in eighty one. And then the drivers' championship with Keke Rosberg in '82. So uh, you know, championships th- three three years consecutively was an impressive start to the decade. Now it's interesting you talk about his driving style. I mean, you know, ultimately he was driving himself uh, and another journalist um, at the time of his crash in '86. Peter Windsor. Uh, Peter Windsor. That's right. And yeah. uh, you know, he, he admits that it was his mistake. Um, driving too fast trying to get to the airport in time to fly back to the uk um actually i think he was planning on doing a running race so he was he was trying to get the last flight back back home and and um yeah made a mistake rolled the car a ford sierra roof crush not that good back in the 80s i guess and uh paid a very very heavy price for it to the point where and the french hospital in uh, they, they wanted to turn off the life support machine because they just thought his injuries and condition was so bad. Um, but Ginny Williams, uh, his wife, uh, uh, said no. And they, with the help of, I mean, the, the amazing thing about this whole story is how the F1 fraternity came together to support Frank and, and the family, you know, 
people like Bernie Eccleston arranging for a private flight uh, back to a London hospital to help him with his uh, recuperation. Um, just incredible, incredible story, really. And, and Frank was back not that long after, um, you know, at, a, at an F1 race. I think he turned yeah. up to... Considering uh, to, everything, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think it, he was at Brands Hatch said, later that year. It's one of those perfectly perplexing moments that, again, if this were displayed in a fictional movie, people would believe, wouldn't believe it. They'd say this is ridiculous. But Peter Windsor was fine. You know, the way the uh, injuries were sustained, Peter Windsor, I mean, I'm sure he had some bruises, but he was largely okay. And it was Frank that sustained all the injuries. And what's even more bizarre than that is that usually, you know, and this is not exactly uh, regular driving, but oftentimes rally is a great example where the driver tends to fare much better than the passenger when there's an accident. And this was just a very interesting twist of fate that it was the driver that got hurt, not the passenger. And that it was so severe um, on one side and so minor on the other. Yeah. Frank has been quoted as saying that he was very relieved that it was him who got injured and not Peter. He said he would have really struggled to live with, you know, if if he'd been fine and Peter had been horribly injured. So he actually seemed more at peace with the fact that he suffered. Um, and Peter actually helped to to drag Frank clear of the wreckage because I guess the, the, there was a lot of concern that the car would catch on fire. So Peter and a passerby had to, uh, had to drag Frank out of the car, which obviously may have uh, worsened his injuries, but, uh, but ultimately it was probably the right decision. Um, yeah, and, worsened, and his, side worsened his injuries, except if the car caught fire, <laughs> and, right, and that right. was a that was a very possible thing. And uh, you know, but the accident itself, the fact that he survived it, that's one of the reasons why bringing up the running was so important. He started off in such good physical health. I think that is what gave him the strength to survive such a serious injury, but. On the flip side of all of these things, it also just catapulted to just, you know, exponential heights, his legend. Here he is, this uh, tetraplegic, I believe is the term. Right. From the neck down, paralyzed, goes on to continue to win drivers and constructors championships in Formula One. It's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, not only... Did the success continue? But Williams really dominated at the 86 and 87 seasons. Honda was now producing the best engine in F1 at that time. And the Williams uh, chassis was, was good. They had two top, top line drivers in PK and, and Mansell, who I was going to mention, they were, the, uh, they, were, they were some of the first on the scene, actually, at the accident and helped to get Frank to hospital, um, which must, must have been quite an interesting sight for the uh, ambulance crew. But there you go. They absolutely dominated, but unfortunately, the crash did make some people nervous about the future of Williams. And Honda decided to to do the deal with McLaren in the aftermath, which is what led to uh, Williams's dropping off of in form in eighty eight, eighty nine, and and the first couple of years in the nineties, because uh, they had to switch uh, first to Judd power units and then to to Renault uh, after Honda withdrew their their offer of uh, uh, powertrain supply. So. 
So, but, but you're right. I mean, first of all, not many people live for too long after such a severe accident. Um, not many tetraplegics have lived for, as you said, you know, three, three and a half decades, um, let alone being, you know, the dynamo that still uh, drives the team forward. I mean, let, let's be clear. Frank was very much in control of the team when he got his life back in order and, and was started, you know, being back at the base in, in 87 and, uh, and beyond um, and was making decisions about sponsorships, you know, uh, alliances, partners, drivers, um, and actually came in for a lot of bad press in the 90s for some of his dealings with driver contracts. So, uh, you know, he was very, still very much in control of the team right up until, you know, a few, just a few years ago uh, when Claire took, took over. So it, it's just incredible that you know, not only could he recover to a large degree from that type of injury, but then, you know, continued to drive forward one of the most successful F1 teams, you know, as I said, through through the 80s and 90s. Yeah, absolutely. And continued to be a, a competitive mainstay in the 2000s as, as well. I mean, certainly the early 2000s. Williams is where Juan Pablo Montoya got his start in Formula One racing, which Montoya's move from IndyCar to Formula One was kind of what was my quasi-unofficial real interest in Formula One. That's what... Uh, buoyed that so my tie to Formula One is um, to Williams in that way and uh, you know continued to win races I believe their most recent Grand Prix win was um, in 2012 with uh, with Pastor Maldonado in that unique circumstance I believe it was the Spanish Grand Prix that's right and uh, it was you know not a perfectly dry track and just unique circumstances and and uh, Pastor was on it, and that was his most recent race win. But even to this day, the Williams team is known for producing just a great team atmosphere and being the budding place for a lot of just fantastic drivers, some at the beginning of their career, some at the end. I'm thinking of uh, Rubens Barrichello, Felipe Massa. I'm also thinking of uh, Nico Rosberg and... Uh, a young man named George Russell. You know, I you you think of the the drivers and the engineers and the different people that have come through that team. It's just oh my, a mighty oh my impressive goodness. list. Yeah, I, I actually drew up a list because I thought this would be uh, be fun to go over. I mean, so so some of this is before my time. I mean, I got into into F one in eighty six, and the, my first memory was was Mansell's tire explosion uh, that lost him the, the title that year. But, you know, let's let's go through some of the great names. I mean, people like Henri Pescarolo, who is very famous with his association with uh, Le Mans, raced for Williams in 71. People That's like how Jacques, I know the name, yeah. Yeah, Jacques Lafitte, Jackie Ix, Mario Andretti raced in 76. For I Williams. didn't know Andretti and Jackie Ix <laughs> as well. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we've touched on Alan Jones. Carlos Reutemann uh, raced for them Reutemann. in 80. Uh, and Clay Derek, Regzoni, that's a, that's a worthy name, certainly. That's right. Derek Daly in 82. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, his son is uh, an active uh, IndyCar racer today. Uh, Ricardo Honor, Patrese yeah. had, a, had a good long career at the end of the 80s, early 90s. And then Damon Hill, of course, world champion Absolutely. Uh, for Williams. David Coulthard. Uh, Ayrton Senna, of course, very associated with the Williams name, unfortunately, for, for the wrong reasons. Alan Prost. Uh, Ralph Schumacher. 
Uh, and, and Jacques Villeneuve, of course, one of your favorite drivers, as we talk I'm, about. I'm Bitcoin. staring at his shrine right now. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think we shouldn't glaze over the 90s because people, people who are more maybe recent to F1, people who've only really got interested in the sport in the last you know 10 years, probably sort of wonder why we're making a big deal of it. I mean, you have to think in the 90s, Williams was so successful, so dominant that people like Ayrton Senna was willing to drive for the team for free. That was the offer he made in 92 because everyone uh, was trying to get into a Williams because Mansell in 92 just absolutely obliterated the field. I mean, the level of performance differential between the Williams, the active suspended FW14B and everything else was just, it was night and day. It was seconds, the difference in performance. Right, not hundreds or thousands. (laughs) seconds yeah yeah Yeah, exactly um so you know since you bring it up i have to say the the 14b is just one of the most beautiful cars ever penned that thing is just stunning well and and one of the most successful chassis ever built uh for formula one Uh, you know uh, there's been some pretty dominant teams and cars since then but at the time it was breaking all the records uh in mansell's hands for the number of wins in a season um, number of pole positions and so on and so forth. I mean, it was it was staggeringly dominant. And then, of course, in 93, with the 15C, I mean, Alan Prost cantered to the title. I mean, it, I don't even think he broke a sweat. Uh, again, with, that was a fully active car. I thought that was part of Prost's contract, is that <laughs> you must provide me a car that I do not sweat and I do not sweat. <laughs> it, may well have, it may well have been. Um, and it... You know, it all all of the uh, the active uh, systems were banned for '94, and, and of course we had the tragedy of Senna at Imola. That was something that Frank had to overcome to to rebuild the team um, and and the team's reputation and deal with the aftermath of of that. And obviously the the pain of losing and uh, you know the the greatest one of the greatest drivers of all time in in your car must have been must have been extremely challenging. But they did rebound. They won titles again in, in 90, 96 and 97 with Hill and Villeneuve and, and dominated those two uh, years. Sadly, 97 was the last time they won a championship. But 16 total championships, nine constructors and seven drivers to date uh, with 114 wins. It's a pretty amazing record, really. Yeah, I think Haas would do just fine with that record right now, <laughs> just as just to name one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible record. And... It's born out of just, I, you know, it's I, it's funny to hear, you're going to laugh to hear me say this, but it's very kind of like a an American kind of you can do it, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of a story. Just get your hands dirty, get sweaty, and get on with it. That kind of tenacity, that kind of self-fulfillment of following your dreams is is just a really enriching story. And the fact that I remember it was couple seasons ago it was before the pandemic but lewis hamilton gave sir frank williams a ride around a track in a mercedes and he made a couple of like old man quips of like breaking pretty late there or whatever little things like that but you could just see just the immense joy in his eyes and his face getting that experience and you could just see that his passion for racing was as strong as as it had ever been, even though his body had really taken a toll. He was one of those people that 
because he overflowed with passion so much, it just spilled over to everybody else, and they felt a bit more passionate as a result. Yeah, you brought up the early 2000s with Juan Pablo Montoya. Williams was powered by BMW at this time, and, and during the early 2000s, of course, Ferrari and Schumacher were dominating, and there was a lot of manufacturer interest in Formula One. Um, and massive sums of money were being invested in different teams. Uh, and basically, the smaller family-run team with maybe you know, 200, 300 engineers was being transformed into a much bigger business where you, know, you got triple, triple the, the resources in terms of uh, uh, manpower. And the way for Williams to keep up with that was essentially... To, to, to sell out to a manufacturer and BMW wanted to buy Williams but Frank refused he wanted to keep the team his own he wanted to keep in control he wanted it to remain a you know a family largely a family run organization and that unfortunately sort of led to a downward spiral that sort of led us to the the really horrible sort of late uh, you know 2019 season where they were plum last by a long way um, that decline sort of set in at that point but you have to respect that determination to try and in the face of what's obviously going on around you up and down the paddock that determination to keep control the the business he built that the business that had been hugely successful and wanted wanted to stay at the helm and, and I respect him for that couldn't agree with you more it, and it's it's that uh, you know that whole build the car in your own workshop get it going kind of attitude even though we were already well departed from specifically that but wanting to keep that spirit on and yeah indeed that's why we got the bmw sauber instead of the bmw williams uh going forward it was just so many fascinating turns and uh twists in frank williams legacy there's so many high points to talk about, but I do feel like we should at least briefly discuss his daughter, Claire Williams, becoming... I knew you'd bring her up. <laughs> well... I think it, you're the founding member of the Claire of the Williams history. fan club, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> she, so she, she ran the team, and indeed she ran the team until it was eventually sold, and that was a less glamorous era of the team, but I think does embody that family-run spirit until there were really no other options. I think that he he much more than talked the talk, he walked the walk. Yeah, I think up until Dalton purchased the team, they were, I mean, not just Claire. I mean, we all know Claire, but her brother Jonathan was also actively involved in in part of the the team i think he did uh, a lot of the the spares operation for the classic uh, williams cars that are still still uh, you know running around on the classic grand prix circuits it really was a family operation and and you know it's the last of a of, of an era really because of course in the 60s and 70s so many f1 teams were were tiny and were run by you know strong individuals like frank and that that's now is that that era is just completely gone. When Williams sold out, it, it it's over, and it's, it just shows how the sports transformed. In seventy one, nineteen seventy one, there were ten people in the race team. The the, the season budget was less than a hundred thousand uh, pounds for a year's racing. So you know now you think about it, we're to seven hundred, eight hundred, even a thousand people in a team. 
I mean, and he lived through that whole transformation. I mean, extraordinary that he was able to keep the team as competitive for as long as they did, really. Because, you know, other teams like Tyrrell uh, and Brabham um, had, had long since fallen by the wayside. Yeah. Lotus, yeah. even. Yeah, so many teams have come and gone, and so many powerhouse individuals have come in and bought teams with the intention to, quote-unquote, shake things up, and one failure after another. And it was Williams that was continuing on. Yeah, it's all part of the legacy and indeed now the legend of that team that will carry forward. Is there anything else you want to add? or I Because I do want to get to your favorite Williams moment or your favorite Williams attribute that you want to remember before we uh, end the show for today. I mean, one thing I wanted to comment on was it sounds like there is going to be a suitable tribute at the Saudi Grand Prix this weekend. Uh, they've got a couple of FW07 chassis that will be running, doing laps of the track. Um, looks like they've got a, a decent... Uh, a group of drivers lined up. I think Alan Jones will be there. Damon Hill will definitely be driving one of the cars. Um, they're going to have some sort of tribute on the grid. So it does sound like the sport is going to pay its due respects. Um, and there's been some fabulous uh, eulogies to Frank um, since news of his passing has came, you know, came out. People like Hill talking about what a what a great man he was. It's been very touching to see the sport rally around the Williams team and, and the Williams family and, um, and and give him his due respect. So your favorite Williams moment or thing could be a car, could be a race, could be a driver, but just uh, your favorite Williams something. Uh, so I was at the 92 Grand Prix, British Grand Prix, uh, that was absolutely dominated by Mansell. <laughs> and the... You know, Mansell was was a complex character, but at that time he was absolutely adored by the British fans. And the the scenes after Williams won uh, were just just ex- extraordinary. I mean, there was a track invasion. I don't think Mansell was able to make it back to the pits um, because he got stopped actually in what is now the new start finish straight, but back then was just the exit of club up to Abbey. And it, just the scenes, the joy uh, that. Uh, that Mansell had won in, in a Williams in the home Grand Prix for the British fans was just was just an extraordinary day and something that I'll I'll certainly remember forever. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a couple I have to get to. Uh, I really, you know, Williams was the start for uh, Juan Pablo Montoya, as I said. Uh, Williams was also the place where uh, Jensen Button first got in a Formula One car at the age of twenty, mm-hmm. and. Uh, there's just so many drivers on that list that uh, I really revere. And th- the fact that there's so many ties back to Williams in that regard is uh, really impressive to me. And at the same time, Adrian Newey <laughs> had a stint at Williams. Um, I think a couple of folks remember who he is. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I have to go. It, it was the 92 season that... FW14B for me it just it's just the prettiest formula 1 car ever made. I just I really love that car and obviously it wasn't just looks it was its performance and what it was capable of but just to me that shape embodies what racing is for me. That shape whenever if you just if you say racing 
in the blood. That's the that's the image that forms in my mind that Frank Williams 14B car. So to me, it just embodied the entire sport. Yeah, I mean there are a lot of uh, iconic iconic moments for Williams. There, you know, there are with with over 50 years of racing history there's going to be a lot but uh but certainly that's that it sounds like a standout for both of us you know hill's remarkable season in 96 but even you know you think about the classic moment of the schumacher hill contact at the end of the 94 season i mean that's an iconic formula one moment um and it involved uh, obviously benetton which is now alpine and 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 williams um and then, of course, the villain of Schumacher uh, shunted '97 as well is a pretty yeah. iconic moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's ironic as well that uh, Benetton got the better in '94, but Williams got the better of it in '97. So that's right. A bit of uh, equilibrium of things there, I suppose you could say. But you touched on it. I mean, that weekend, that weekend in 2012. So it was actually the weekend of Frank's 70th birthday. Um, yes. Williams hadn't hadn't been that competitive, and yet, you know, Pastor was able to 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 dominate the Grand Prix, aided by a, a, a the good weekend. penalty. For I Hamilton. mean, the entire weekend almost it seemed. Yeah, yeah. Well, he put it second on the grid, didn't he? But Hamilton got a penalty. So he, he lined up on pole and then just controlled the race. And we never saw a race like that from Pasta before or after. Um, but it was, no. it was an amazing, amazing uh, uh, turn of events. And then there was this bizarre scene where there was a pit lane fire, um, actually in the Williams pits, not long after the race uh, had, had been won. Um, and you had all the crews uh, come down to try and help out Williams and, and deal with the fire and, and limit the damage and, and look after the injured mechanics. That was an amazing weekend. It's, it's great that uh, that Frank got to see his cars win uh, one more time, and uh, in, in such a you know incredible circumstance, really. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it much like Frank himself, Pastor was one of those guys who had really no fear and had had the potential to be very quick if he could control himself and <laughs> and on that rare occasion he could and and it proved to be brilliant and uh yeah so that was that was nice to have a not too distant uh, past where Frank Williams car was on top and again we should mention that I believe it was 2014 could have been more recent, but that Felipe Massa put the Williams on pole, its final pole position. That was another highlight that uh, came in the not-too-distant past. And indeed, I mean, very, very bizarre circumstances, but George Russell did put the Williams <laughs> on uh, the podium just a few Grand Prix ago. That's um, right, Spa. Yeah, exactly right. So, you know, in its own way, the team continues to carry forward, and now that... The team is no longer owned by the family. It does seem to be in a much more financially secure place. And with luck, the name Williams will carry on and once again have more success. Yeah, that's certainly what uh, a lot of people hope for, no doubt. Absolutely. But that's going to be it for now. We will be back next week to cover the uh, Saudi Arabia Grand Prix, the crazy fast street race we have coming up. But for now, I just want to, on behalf of Christopher Roche and myself, thank you for listening, and you'll hear from us next week.